It's great to see you here today. If you are a guest with us, special welcome to you. Hope this feels like home for you. And if you're tuning in online uh, for the first time, welcome to you. We hope to meet you face-to-face in uh, the next few weeks. And you saw right there, we're starting the new series that Brandon had just mentioned to us, but on everyday worship, where we're looking at how God desires for us to worship Him in every avenue of our lives. And so today we're going to be in Psalm 113, Psalm 113. So if you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, go ahead and make your way there. And we're going to read the whole Psalm, just nine verses today, and just kind of unpack this. But this is a starting point for this whole series. If, if we don't grasp Psalm 113 today, it's going to be a hard grasp for us to hit these other topics in the days ahead. So that's where we'll be at this morning. As you make your way to Psalm 113, it's been about 20 years ago now, uh, but there's a worship pastor named Matt Redman uh, from the UK. The church that he served at uh, was uh, in London or close to London. And uh, he became really influential in songwriting and worship leading in London for sure, but also in the UK, and even drifted and influenced us here in America. So you can see a picture of him up on the screen with a a lyric that many of you probably could start singing that song right now. Uh, It's all about you, Jesus, right? That was close to 20 years ago now. Now it's interesting because if you know that song and you know a little bit about Matt Redman and his popularity, what happened within their church is what caused that song to happen in the first place. Him writing songs and him just being able to put a great worship team together had really grown the church and had impacted the area. And it was interesting because even though they were growing, the lead pastor there, uh, Pastor Mike, started to see that there was something that was off. There was something that was um, concerning to him. And he discerned in the midst of all this great music that they were writing, all this fervor they had for music, their view of worship had grown too small. They had started to blur the lines between worshiping God and loving music instead. So uh, Mike decided to do something pretty extreme for his church. And he said, okay, uh, from this Sunday forward, um, and definitely, Pastor Mike said, we're, we're not going to do our normal four songs of singing or six songs. We're not going to have a, a drum up here. We're not going to have a guitar. We're not even going to have a worship leader stand up on stage and play a song for us. We're just going to come in here and we're going to worship each week. And so Matt Redman said, even the first couple weeks for him, he was like, man, it was just hard. We're coming in and we're supposed to worship God, but our whole worship experience has been built around music. He's like, even for, for me as a worship leader, I'm struggling and I'm sheepish of like, how do I worship God? And so it really challenged this church to think about what worship practically is and how much bigger it is. It's, it is certainly music and singing to the Lord, absolutely. But it's far, far more than that. So Mike challenged his church with this question. I would challenge you as well. He challenged them and said, ask this question, am I a producer of worship or consumer of worship? Am I a producer of worship, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or am I just coming in and consuming a song? What was interesting in these moments of silence each week as they gathered together and they struggled to figure out how worship could be bigger than just a song they started to discover things like, when we open up God's word, this can be worship. 
It can be worship for you. It should be worship for you. If we come to God's word and we say, God, I want to know what you would have to say to me. And I want to shape my life and bend my will around your word. That's worship to him. It's worship to him. When we come to God's word and say, would you convict us of our sin? Where we're off from where you desired and made us to live. Would you show us that, that we could turn and look to you and turn our eyes upon Jesus? That's worship. They also found being hospitable to one another in this room on Sunday mornings, that, that is worship. When you look at somebody that you don't know across a row and you're like, I don't know them, I need to go meet them and talk to them. That could be worship. You might be thinking, Ryan, what are you talking about? That could be worship. It's because it's a reflection of what God has done for us. God is the ultimate hospitable one who stepped out of his house and came to earth for us. And so when we look across the aisle and we, we greet people who might be sitting by themselves and just get to know them, there might be a little awkwardness there, but there also might be a little bit of worship in your heart that happens. You can also worship God in this room without music with forgiveness. Some of us might have had our feelings hurt by somebody that's sitting in this room. Maybe they're on the other side of this room. And right now, you might, they might even know they've offended you, but you can worship Jesus by reflecting him and forgiving them. And I love how we see throughout Scripture that worship is much, much more than a song. It's much, much more than a song. And that's what Pastor Mike was helping his church to get. And that's what I hope we get through this series. That yes, we sing as worship to God, but every day of our lives are, be, are meant to be as worship to the Lord. So with this question in our mind, are we producing worship with our lives or just consuming worship. I want to start this series by looking at the one who is worthy of our worship. Who's worthy of our worship. Like I said, this is foundational. If we don't understand who our God is, who the one who we are worshiping is, then we'll never worship him. So let's look at God's word starting in um, verse 1 of Psalm 113. It says, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the, the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He, he raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap and makes them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home and makes her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, together we ask in this prayer as worship that you would grow our view of you. And as our view of you grows, that our worship would expand as well. God, you are great and you are greatly to be praised. And so, Lord, I ask that you would give us wisdom on how to worship you in every aspect of our lives. God, I ask that you would also give us a heart's desire 
to worship you. This morning, Lord, we ask that through your word, through your truth, you would challenge us, you convict us, you would change us, God, and that you would comfort us through your word. Now let me invite you to, in this moment of silence, to pray yourself that God would help you to expand your worship of him. Pray and ask him to do that now. Would you also take this moment of silence to pray for someone else? Uh, Maybe they know the Lord, maybe they don't, but would you pray for them to worship God? And may their view of God grow. Would you pray for that person by name to the Lord now? Lord Jesus, we praise you for your steadfast love for us. We ask that in that love that you would give us life today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Psalm 113, I believe, shows us two beautiful truths that should be fuel to our hearts of worship to God and ultimately our lives of worship to God. We find two truths about God that stoke that flame in our heart. First is this, that Jesus is worthy of our everyday worship because he is infinitely high above all things. He's worthy of our worship because he's infinitely high above all things. Now, it's interesting here in this passage because a lot of times when we get excited about something, we get pumped up to talk about it. Sometimes, you know, our mouth can get, above, get, get ahead of where our, our, our mind is, right? And I think that's what's happening a little bit in this passage because he's going to start just talking about how great God is. Just praise him. Just, 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 just praise him. And then he's like, okay, well, let me tell you when and where you should praise him. Okay, wait, my, my mind got way ahead of this. L- let me tell you why we should praise him. And that's what he's going to do in these first few verses. His, his, his mouth is going to just start speaking. He's going to say, praise the Lord in verse 1. This is a general call to, to anybody who hears. Would you just praise the Lord? This is a general call that he's starting this with because God is worthy of all praise. And this general call, I want you to think about it like if you were in a park one day and you saw somebody get injured or you saw some crisis happen and, and you needed help. And so when you see that moment happen, you want to respond and you cry out to anybody like, help, somebody help, right? Like it's a, a general call for somebody to come in and to help you. That's what he's doing here at the beginning when he says, praise the Lord. He's giving a general call, general plea for us to praise the Lord because he knows God is worthy. He knows God's worthy of this worship and worthy of this praise. So he cries out, anyone who hears, would you respond? But then he moves from this general praise the Lord to a very specific people to praise the Lord in verse 1. He says, praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. And take that same analogy of being in the park and seeing somebody get injured and calling for general help from anybody. But then if you are running up to help that person and you look and you see people who have maybe a lab coat on and you think, man, those are probably doctors. I mean, they were, they were built for a moment like this. And instead of calling for general help, now you stop and you look and you're like, hey, you, doc, come here. You, you've been trained for this. You've been built for this. Like, come here and help. That's what the psalmist is doing. He starts general, praise the Lord. 
And then he moves to specific. Servants of the Lord, praise him. You were built for this. I mean, if servants of the Lord aren't going to praise him, then who is going to praise him? Who's going to praise him? Now, I think he included this specific call to servants of the Lord to praise him because he knows something about our hearts. Something that if you and I are honest, we know about our hearts as well. There are certain times, even though you know the Lord, you don't feel like praising the Lord. You just don't. I mean, have you ever realized that there's times, even on a Sunday morning, where you come in here and it's time for us to do the musical worship portion of our service? And Brandon will say, let's stand and let's sing. And some of us are like, I don't really want to sing. I guess I'll stand up because, like, everybody else is standing, but I don't really want to sing to the Lord in that moment. And there's a list of reasons why this might be for us. I mean, some of us think, well, you know, I just don't want other people to hear me. Like, I'm not a great singer. That's all right. God didn't say, be a great singer to the Lord. He said, make a joyful noise to the Lord, right? We, we aren't, this isn't American Idol, okay? These aren't tryouts. God's not up in heaven being like, Randy Jackson, like, no, that's a no for me, dog. Like, no, 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 keep your mouth shut. Like, that's not what he's saying. He wants you to lift your voice to him. But we might say, oh, I don't want other people to hear me. Or we might say, I just don't feel worthy enough. Like, you've come in here and you've got kind of this sin that's going on in your heart. You've got some shame. You're like, I'm not worthy enough to sing to God. And this passage is saying, no, you're a servant of the Lord. Sing. Raise your voice. And some of us will say, well, God is doing stuff in my heart. So, like, I'm worshiping God, but just, like, within my heart, so I don't need to sing. You need to remember God's truth. <laughs> From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if God is doing something in your heart in the moment, praise the Lord. But he's telling you to open your mouth and to sing it. So don't just settle with, like, oh, it's go something going on in my heart. But would you open your lips to praise the name of the Lord? Or maybe we don't want to sing because we're just exhausted, right? Stayed up too late last night or had a busy weekend. We're just distracted thinking about what's to come this next week. And so in this moment, knowing our hearts, he's looking at us saying, servants of the Lord, you have to praise the Lord. There's nobody else that's going to do it. You open your mouth and praise the name of the Lord is what he says in verse 1. Which of all the places, all the places that he could have started, he starts and says, praise the name of of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. What he's doing in this moment is he's saying, you know what, you need to look at the Lord, know something about him, and then respond to that. And this is really important, extremely important to our worship, because this is the Lord in whom we praise, the Lord. And his name tells us something about him. His name should cause us to worship him. I mean, it's, it's not an accident that eight times in nine verses, they reference the name of the Lord. Lord is used eight times in nine verses. And the first three verses, he says the name, he mentions the name three times. What is it about God's name that's supposed to stir our hearts and kindle affections to worship him, not just on Sunday morning, but in every day of our lives? Well, I think there's several things. But first... This, this word in the Bible, Lord, you, you might see it in your Bible, all caps, L-O-R-D. This is a personal name of God. This is a personal name of God. 
Now, the reason why that is so important is because you need to understand we are not worshiping or praising an abstract, impersonal, cosmic force out there. We are worshiping a person. We are worshiping the person of Jesus Christ. He has a specific name. He is the I am, which is what the Lord means. Now, it's interesting when this all starts with God giving his name as the Lord, the great I am, it's with Moses in the book of Exodus. God comes to me, he's like, hey, I want you to come and lead my people out of Egypt. I'm going to rescue them so that they can worship and praise me. And Moses is like, all right, I guess I'll do this, God. But like, you've got to give me a name because I'm going to show up in Egypt and they're going to say, which God says that we need to like let these people go? Because like, we've got a, a long list of gods. So like, just point out the, the name of which one it is. And God's like, no, tell them that Yahweh the Lord, the I am, is the one that has sent you. You see, in that moment, God gives a personal name to Moses and says, share that with others. So then we fast forward to, to Psalm 113 and we see the name of the Lord used in again and again and again that we would remember our God is a personal God. Though he is mighty and strong and above all things, he is a personal God. And this term that it literally means I am tells us something else about God that should stoke our hearts to praise. It means that he's an eternal being. Our God has no beginning. He has no end. He is forever God. And so he's worthy of forever praise. When this life ends and we move into eternal life, even then we would continue to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that's what he's telling us in this moment. And this name of I am as well helps us to understand the, the complete self-sufficiency of God. When, it said, when he gives that name I am, yes, it's talking about that he's eternal, has always been and always will be. But also that he doesn't need anything. God doesn't need anything. He is completely sufficient in himself. And that is an encouraging thing for us. He creates it all. He owns it all. He doesn't need human beings, but in his grace and in his kindness, he chose to give us life. And so that should stoke our hearts to, to think about our God as a personal God. He's an eternal God, but he's also self-sufficient. He needs nothing else. And we come to him for everything. So he says, praise the name of the Lord. This is the God in whom we serve. But then he's going to tell us when and where we should praise the Lord. We find this in the next verse. He says, praise the name of the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Now, why can he make that claim? Because of the name of God. He's eternal. He's always been, always will be. And so he's worthy of praise forever. From this time, Sunday morning, right, to the rest of our lives, for the rest of eternity, from all past, he is worthy to be praised from this time forth and forevermore. And what I love about that is that includes every season of life. Not just when you're having those great mountaintop experiences and everything's going well, but also in those low valleys when things are hard and things are difficult. Even in that time, from this time forth, forevermore, he is worthy to be praised. So we praise him at all times. That's why we're doing an everyday worship series. 
God desires for our lives to be shot through with eternal purpose and meaning to glorify him. Not just the hour and a half on Sunday morning. God is worthy to be praised at all times. And then in verse 3, he tells us he's to be praised in all places. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So if you saw the sun this morning, then you should be praising the Lord. Everywhere, all around the world, all through the galaxy, you should praise the Lord. He's saying it everywhere, at all times. This verse right here, God is to be praised from the rising of the sun to the setting, no matter where the sun hits. This is why we go on mission trips. This is why we go. This is why we commissioned a team this morning that's going to go to Honduras because we want those people down there to know Jesus, to grow in their faith in Jesus, and to praise him, right? That's why we go. That's why we go. Because God's heartbeat is that everyone, everywhere, at all times would praise the name of the Lord. And he got ahead of himself, but now he's going to tell us why. Why should we praise the name of the Lord? Why should we do all these things? Why is he worthy of my praise in this room as well as every day? Why? He says in verse 4, the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. This is the infinite glory of our God. He is worthy of our praise because he's above all nations. And praise God for that, right? That our God's value doesn't rest on our nation, whether it rises or falls. Praise God for that. He's above all nations. He transcends all the pomp and pride of humankind. Our nations around us might roar, but God is not impressed, nor is he worried. God is not up in heaven worried about what's going on in the nations. He's not. The book of Isaiah actually tells us that God looks at the nations of the world and they are as a drop in the bucket or as dust on the scales. Let that settle in a little bit because this should stir our hearts to worship. Those of us that fear losing what we feel like is so solid, God's like, that's like dust. Wipe it away because I am Yahweh. I am the I am. I'm the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing is going to shake me or my kingdom. And so he looks and he's like, no, these are just as a drop in the bucket. God is so much greater than all these things. And all of our souls could rest on that truth. What worship that would be to God and what confusion it would be to our world. To say, what? How can you have peace in the midst of a time like this? Because our peace does not rest in the rise and fall of a nation. But our peace rests in the one who never changes who never changes. And he even goes even a little bit further in verse 4. Not only is God above what we would consider the highest human creation of our, our nations and our authority, but he has glory above the heavens. God has glory even above his creation. He's like, I've got glory far above that. And I, I love how verse 6 talks about it. He, he looks far down on the heavens and the earth. Like, He's so far above those things, he even looks down upon those things because his greatness and his glory is so infinite. This is why we praise him. His glory is above the heavens. I love how 1 Kings chapter 8 says it. Talking about God, it says, Behold, heaven and the heavens' heavens 
cannot contain you. Our God is so much greater and broader and mightier than all of these things that we see or know. Our words buckle underneath the weight of the glory of God. So we try to explain it from the, the highest of nations to the highest of heavens, and it's still not enough. None of those contain the glory of our God. So we worship him. That's the, that's the application point of this whole passage, but we need to hear it. We need to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And listen to me carefully. It's not because God needs your praise. God does not need your praise. He does not need my praise. God is self-sufficient. He's eternal, right? He does not need it. We need it. Psalm 92 says, it is good for you to worship the Lord, to praise God. But it's not for his good, it's for our good. You see, our hearts need to be reminded of the one in whom we worship. He is high and lifted up above all of our issues and problems. And yet at the same time, our troubled hearts need to be encouraged that our God has all power and might in the midst of our suffering. Our sinful hearts need to praise and worship every day because we're remembering that our God is mighty to save. He's mighty to save. We need to worship with all of our lives because we look and we're like, even though we have all these different seasons and all these different times and all these different places, God will be praised in every single one of them because he's worthy of it all. Our hearts need to be reminded of how great and big he is and how small we are. This is the glory of God. Now, this first point, many of you probably aren't surprised that much by it. God is great, God is glorious, he's high above, right? Every other world religion has that. That their picture and their view of God is a high and lofty view. But our God is different from any other religion in the entire world. Psalm 113 is going to tell us why. It's because though our God is high and exalted and infinitely higher than anything, he becomes inconceivably low for us. This is what's different. This is what should stoke our heart's desire to worship him. Because God could have stayed transcendent and left us in the mire and muck that we were in, and he did not do it. In his great love and his mercy and his might, he stooped down to save. God becomes inconceivably low for us. It says in verse 5, who is like the Lord our God? The answer to that question is no one. No other God in any religion has this view of the Lord. No one. Who is seated on high, verse 5 tells us, absolutely, who looks far down on the heavens. But then look at verse 7. He raises the poor from the dust. He, he, he lifts the needy from the ash heap. You see, God in his power and his might didn't turn his back, but he leaned in and became low to help us, to save us from the sins. We couldn't lift ourselves up, so he stooped down to save us. And in verse 7, when it says he raises the poor from the dust, do you get the picture and image that he's saying right there? The, the dust, the poor from the dust, they don't have a table or a chair to sit at. They are sitting in the dust. They don't have a fancy home with a slab or carpet or any of that. They don't have any of that. They have mud huts. So they eat in the dust. 
God says, yeah, I, I, I care about them. I stoop down for them. He even takes it a level lower. He says he lifts the needy from the ash heap. Lifts the needy from the ash heap. These are people that are poorer than the people that were in the dust. You see, at that time, the ash heap was something that they basically had. It was a big garbage dump outside of the city. They would put all their trash out there, and every so often they would have to incinerate that, that garbage, burn it, you set it on fire, right? So the flame would grow, would, would grow and, and devour it. And there were a group of people who were so poor and so forgotten and so rejected, they had to live off the crumbs of the ash heap. And God says, yeah, those are the ones that I lift up. What? This is why there's no one like the Lord. If God is so high and exalted above all things, then shouldn't he just care for like the famous people and the highly exalted people? Like, shouldn't he just care about those type of people? But he doesn't. It says that he stoops down and comes inconceivably low to care for the poor and the needy. This is who our God is. This is the heartbeat of our Lord. This should stir our hearts to worship him. You know why? Because we are the poor. We are the needy. We're the ones that need God to stoop down to help us in the depths of our sin and our pain. We cannot climb to the top. We can't lift ourselves up. And God knew it, so he stooped down to rescue us. He stepped off this, the height of his throne, and he came down to a dunghill of ashes to save us. And he doesn't just care about the poor and the needy in a general sense. Verse 9 talks about a specific person, the barren woman. Singular. God cares about the individual pain and suffering. And at this time, the, the idea of, of barrenness was used to speak of people who were hopeless. That's what we see in the Hebrew Bible. Many times it uses barrenness to talk about a certain wasteland or to talk about people who live without hope. And Specifically here, it speaks of a woman because at that time, your, your family was kind of your, 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 your livelihood. And here's a woman who is barren and is hopeless. And God speaks to one person and he says, I care about that person too. He doesn't just care about the general, he cares about the specific pain and suffering, the hopelessness. This is our God. This is the one that we sing to and praise. And I think it's, one, encouraging, but also confusing that he would end with this, the hopeless person. Like, wait, that's, that's what causes our hearts to, to stand and to worship and to sing? Yes, because our God is far and high above all things, and he stoops down to save us. Now, what is beautiful to me about God's word is how it's all connected together. And Psalm 113 all this is, is a little glimpse of the gospel that is to come. This is a small glimpse of what our God is going to do for us in the days ahead. You need to realize this picture of God as high and exalted and lifted up and also a God who stoops down low is seen in its full picture in Jesus Christ. Did you see that? Philippians chapter 2 says it like this. Who, though he, that's Jesus, being in the form of God, he's God in all of his glory and might and his splendor. He did not count God something to be grasped. That means he didn't hold on to all of his privileges and glory in that moment. 
but instead he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is our God. This is the God that we praise to. This is the God that we sing to. Listen to what the high and glorious God does for us. He came low. Jesus came as a poor man. He came into a poor family and was born in a manger, a a feeding trough. He was born in a stable. Jesus came to earth in his gracious and glorious might. And he humbled himself. He humbled himself and went to the ultimate, ultimate ash heap. The ultimate ash heap. On the cross, Jesus dies for our sins in our place. On the cross, he was forsaken. On the cross, he was cut off from God. On the cross, his soul was incinerated, right? He experienced the fires of hell on that cross as he took on our sin in our place. He wasn't just crucified among the ash heaps. He was literally in the ultimate ash heap. He took our punishment for us. He was treated how we deserve to be treated. He was punished how we deserve to be punished for our sins. And because he did that, those that would come to him, confess him as the great and mighty Lord and repent of their sins and turn from them. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And listen to this. And raised up with him. He has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, in Psalm 113, it says that the heartbeat of God is that he'll raise up the poor and the needy and the hopeless to sit with princes, with the princes of the people. But Jesus takes it to a whole nother level. You're not going to just sit with earthly princes. You will reign with me forever, for all of eternity. This is what Jesus does. This is what causes us to end where Psalm 113 verse 9 is. Praise the Lord. This is the one who is worthy of all of our lives and praise to him. So church family, let us live a life of worship and praise to the only one who is worthy of it to the glory of his name and for the good of our souls. Pray with me. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are mighty enough to save, that you are glorious above all things. And so our peace, our security rests in you. But you're not so mighty and transcendent that you don't humble yourselves to stoop down to save us. And so we thank you for that, God. And we pray that you would help us to understand how we live for you day in and day out as worship to you because you are worthy of it all. And so God, we thank you. We thank you for these truths and ask that you would stir our hearts, ignite that flame to give our lives to you or share the truth of the glory of Jesus Christ with others. To the glory of your great name we ask. Amen. Church family, let's stand now. Let's sing praises to our God.